Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Okay, as you guys know, we're doing a Help and Hope for a Holy Life. That's the series we've been in. And uh, just to do a quick review with you, uh, let's start off with the first message was be holy in all your conduct. 1 Peter 1.15 uh, is where we focused in that first message. Uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So I want you guys to say, we are called to be holy. Say it with me. We are called to be holy. Okay, you're called to be saints, God's chosen people. Uh, the next sermon was repent. Uh, we talked about what repentance is. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means this idea of changing your mind. Um, we talked about Psalm 51 with that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read verses 1, 2, and 10. Uh, David uh, says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me, he says, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So I want you to say that last part there with me. Lord, lead us to repentance. Okay. Uh, then we moved into the next one where I said, okay, so we talked about repentance and we shifted into uh, an opportunity to demonstrate repentance. And uh, so that message was titled, Use Your Words. Uh, one of the Key uh, passages from that one was Ephesians 5.4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Another passage that I used was Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, where Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so let's say this together. Help us to be careful with our words. Finally, last week, uh, the title of the message last week was Make an Effort. Second Peter chapter 1, um, I actually dealt with a whole bunch of it, but I'm going to focus on just these three verses here for a moment. Um, for this very reason, because of all that Jesus has done for us and all that He's still doing for us, His divine power, everything that you need for life and godliness, remember all that? And then I said, for this very reason... Uh, or I'm sorry, Peter says, for this very, very reason, make every effort, every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so one of the things I talked about there is that uh, this is where this is how this builds. And so I had a picture of a tower up there, and there's these two blocks right in the middle, self-control and steadfastness. You see those two right in the middle there. I think I have a laser pointer, do I? Oh, yeah, look right there. Self-control and steadfastness right in the middle there. And so a lot of people are striving for it, and they're hoping for brotherly affection and love. I mean, to be able to be the kind of person that loves unconditionally, right? I think most of us in the room go, I'd love to get to that point in my life where I can do that sort of thing and be that sort of person, and I think that there's a building that happens there, and right in the middle where a lot of people fall short is with self-control and with steadfastness. But let's say this together. Let us make every effort to supplement our faith, right? That's what Peter says. I think that might be too much information. Let's be a little bit simpler. Ready? Ready? Uh, first one. You're going to say it with me? Be holy. Second week. Repent. Third, use your words. 
last week. Make an effort. Okay? So we're building these things and pulling these things together. And just like in the previous times, um, I talked about making an effort last week, and I, I kind of honed in on that self-control. This week I would like to go into an uh, application of that thought. Okay? So let me give you a couple passages on self-control, and then we're going to jump into some examples of ways that you might be able to exhibit or grow in self-control. Okay? So let's start with a couple of passages. One of my favorites from years and years ago, I remember this one from when I was a child, um, is this one here. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, a wallless city may not mean much to us, but for them, a city that had no walls was vulnerable, right? Vulnerable. And so, like a vulnerable city that anybody could just come in and take whatever they wanted is like a person who lacks self-control. Another one I'm going to get to, but I want to read a quote from a guy named David Mathis, who is an, a pastor and an author, uh, just to summarize and to save some time. Let me read what he wrote. He says, Alongside love and godliness, self-control serves as a major summary term for Christian conduct in full flower. And he gives four references there. And for any of you that like to take notes and look things up, if you'd like to look those up at some point, and I, if I'm going too fast, feel free to go, Matt, would you just go back to that? I'd be more than happy to. But self-control is one of those things that when you read through the New Testament, you see that, and that how he puts it here, uh, puts it here, serves as a major summary term for Christian conduct. So a Christian in full bloom as a Christian, self-control is one of those terms that describes a Christian in full bloom. It is also the climactic fruit of the Spirit, David Mathis says, which is true if you read through the fruit of the Spirit, the very last one, and self-control. Okay, so self-control is being one of the fruit of the Spirit. It is also one of the first things that must be characteristic of leaders in the church. Uh, they must be ones who exhibit self-control. One of the scriptures that he mentions uh, is uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. I'm going to actually put that one up there. Um, the Bible says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of what? Of power and love and self-control. Now, Everything's paved, ready to go, ready for me to get specific. Last time I got specific, it was about using your words. This time it's going to be about some things that you may need to exhibit some self-control in. With each one of these, I need to preface before I get into it, because with each one of these, there is so much more I could say about each one. So I'm going to, give, I'm going to go through several little examples, and with each one, I had a difficult time because I thought, man, I could just go, I mean, each one of these I could just spend a day on, right? So, but I'm just going to give you a, 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 a tasting, a tidbit of some things that maybe, okay? In fact, because of the way I'm going to do this, I want you to know before I even begin, I'm not singling anybody out, okay? So I may go through some of these, you may go, he's looking at me. I'm not doing that, okay? I'm not doing that just to let you know in advance, my glasses, I actually need a tune prescription. I probably can't see you as well as I should anyway. So I'm really not singling you out, okay? Um, in fact, I've learned through this all week long, I've been dreading this sermon. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I know 
that there's some things that I need to exhibit more self-control in. And there's nothing more difficult than preaching a sermon that you know that the number one person that needs to hear it is yourself. That is so challenging. Um, so, the things that I'm going to list, they might step on your toes, but I'm going to tell you there's some things in this list that have stepped on my toes as I've gone. And so I'm not focusing on any one person. I'm focusing on all of us because I think we can all grow in self-control. So let's hit some big ones. Ready for some big ones? Some things that maybe people in this room might need to grow in self-control. Let's start with some obvious ones. <laughs> oh no, I got a picture up there. Start with an obvious one here. Now, some of you, some of you are drooling already. You're talking about food. I'm not even there yet. Um, now, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot get up in front of a church and say that the Bible says, do not touch a drop. That the Bible does not teach, don't touch a drop. But the Bible does not avoid this subject either. Let me hit some key components. Um, Ephesians 5.18 clearly states, and be, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I can stand up here before you today, and if the drinking of alcohol leads to drunkenness, that is wrong. You ought not to be drunk. You ought to be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery is an interesting term. Some versions say excess. It's abandoned living or reckless living. So in drunkenness, you find this. There are plenty of other passages I go to that lead to the, the conclusion that alcohol, among many things, is something we ought to be careful with. One of my favorite ones I'm going to read to you, though, because I think it's so... Yeah, I'm going to read this next. It's, it comes from Proverbs. I'm going to read it to you, and some of you are going to go, that's in the Bible? Yeah, that's in the Bible. This is a great proverb. Okay? Proverbs chapter 23 says this, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Some of you in this room know all too well the sting of that adder. Your heart will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. For most, if not possibly close to all, but definitely with most of us, self-control with alcohol is going to look like total abstinence because many of you know you can't have one. 
You have one, you're having another. Self-control. Now, like I said, there's so much more I could say on this. So, in fact, I'm going to preface right now. If I'm going through these and you go, okay, what about, what about all the whatabouts? And what about this situation? How about this? Please talk to me. I have much more that could be said on each of these topics. I'm going to move to the next one, though. Because of my own pastor growing up, there's a certain list of vices that I always feel like I need to hit on. Um, pastor Jacobs used to say all the time, don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, and don't go with girls that do. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting when I, I think back on that because he never said that to my recollection as if that was the thing. He always said there's many people that they, they, that's as far as they go in their Christianity and that's not as far as you go. And so he was right on with that. But because of that, I thought of my next vice. Um, throw it up there. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that there's a couple things I need to mention about this one uh, that strike home. Because, there, because I, I bring this one up and I think smoking. I'm not just talking about smoking cigarettes, right? I'm thinking about, what about pipes, right? Uh, what about cigars, um, and we live in Illinois. So what about cannabis, marijuana? Um, I'm going to go off my notes for a minute here, but uh, this has struck home, especially the last two weeks. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that this has happened these last two weeks at school. I have con had to confiscate, com confiscate from more than one kid. I almost, I've almost put pictures up because I've been taking pictures of it. But I'm going to tell you something else. Um, the vaping, there's this, some of these vapes out now that have the THC cannabis in them. We've had two kids at Danville High School in the last two weeks that have been rushed to the hospital in an ambulance because of that. Okay? I've, I've had this school year, I would say at least 20 to 25 kids in my office high as a kite. I had a teacher tell me the other day, we have this program called the Second Chance Program, and uh, she's, she brought up the other day, she's taught at Danville a lot longer than I did. And, and she said, they, in that second chance program, she said, there used to be like two kids on that. It's for kids that have been caught either at the school with drugs or under the influence of something while they're at school, they go into the second chance program. We used to have, she's like, we used to have maybe two. There, there's what, like 15, 20 kids on there at a time right now. This is a relevant topic that I think ought to be addressed. You say, well, the Bible doesn't mention it, but I think there's some biblical principles that I could lay out. Let me give you the first one here. That won't apply to most, but I need to throw it in there. Um, there are some basic principles at play. First one is, is it legal? Okay, now I know in Illinois with that particular one, there's a difference, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're under 21, it's not legal. It's wrong. You shouldn't do it, right? But I don't think I'm looking around. We only have like one person in here, two, maybe two people in here. Uh, under 21, but I tell that to kids all the time. I've had kids now because it's legal in Illinois. They go, what's the big deal? It's legal now. And I would go, not for you and not at school, right? Um, another principle, uh, I'm going to po point out some things um, from 1 Corinthians that we learned. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, All things are lawful. But not, not all things are helpful. 
Okay, so there's a first stipulation we ought to be asking ourselves as God's people. Is this helpful? That's a good question to ask, is it not? Now, I know that you might be thinking right now, I mean, there's so, I mean, can you see why I had trouble moving along with the, this? Because I could, man, I could talk about that. Let's talk about all the, the details because there's medical uses of that. What about that? What about that, Matt? What about what? There's a lot of whatabouts, okay? But let's hit the second one here. Uh, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated or brought under the power of anything. So consideration ought to be not just is it helpful, but will it control me? Will it control me? And as a Christian, we ought to be asking these tough questions. Not just, is it lawful? Remember, that was a quote from the Corinthians. What about us as Christians? We go beyond, is it okay? And we ask, is it helpful? Can it control me? We can go in 1 Corinthians to chapter 10, verse 23, where Paul restates this and adds a different one. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful again. But then he says this, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that just another way of saying helpful? But in the context here, he's not referring to one's own self, but to everybody else. In fact, the very next verse says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so we have to consider in our freedoms others, how it might affect them. What, where they're, what, what, about, what about the ones that are just weak? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to who? The weak. So as Christians, in our love of others, we must be asking these questions. So many, when I start going the, down this road, will bring up, well, Matt, how can you preach against the nicotine and the cannabis with that coffee in your hands? Have you ever heard anybody bring up that, that argument? What about the caffeine? Or for me, the polar pop. The, I used to have, this is embarrassing, I used to have one of the 64-ounce mugs. It was. It was like, it had a handle. It was a mug. I don't care what you call it. I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. I'm convicted. Because I could even go down this road. What about this? Mmm. There's your food for you. Mm-hmm. Gluttony. Gluttony is a sin. You will rarely hear a chubby preacher do it, but you're ha it's happening right now. Some of you have just experienced something you've never seen before. The chubby preacher just admitted gluttony is a sin. I'm working on it, guys. I'm trying. This is an area of self-control because I'm telling you right now, when I get food, I, I love food. Love to just enjoy it. I mean, there's, there's foods. I can be full, but that doesn't come into consideration when I decide whether or not I eat certain things. Totally full. But ooh, that looks tasty. Gluttony is a sin. 
And so I'm here to tell you right now, amongst all these other things we're talking about, there are so many avenues of self-control that we may need to exhibit. You remember the, the quote I've shared multiple times? Um, I'm just one blind beggar showing other blind beggars where there's bread. I think maybe we need to change that. I'm just one blind beggar showing other blind beggars where there's a salad. <laughs> that's what you. That's what you were gonna. The donuts with the. Have you ever seen the, the where they've taken a donut and sliced it in half and used that for the bun of the hamburger? Oh man, I gotta try that at least once. <laughs> but now, Proverbs chapter twenty-three. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. I guess that Brazilian restaurant we went to is out. You guys ever been to that Brazilian restaurant where they just bring around skewers of meat, and they go, you want some more meat? And they just cut off. Anybody ever been to that place? What's it called? It's some Brazilian restaurant. We went. I'll tell you what. They just... Soft chunks of meat. But in seriousness, what, is it, what does it say? Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. I find it fascinating that these two ideas are tied together in this proverb. But it's, they're similar, are they not? Drunkenness and gluttony are similar in heart. There's more examples I could go down the path of. Um, in the society and culture we live in, what about sex? Okay, I didn't have a picture. Some of you were, some of you were worried. Some of you were worried. He had pictures for what's he gonna put up? Can't. I, I saw visible fear in a couple of your faces for just one moment. What's he gonna put? Sex is to be within the bounds of marriage. Period. A man and a woman married. Not dating. Right? Married. In fact, there's a connection with self-control and with the unmarried. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where it talks about if there's a couple who are not married, they're betrothed, but not married yet. And it says if they can't control their passions, it says they ought to get married. There's a connection there. But let's go beyond that for just a moment. Because Jesus teaches on this in his great Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. You've heard that it was said, Jesus teaching, you've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I know that if you ask the sage scholars from the loading docks that we work on, that you can look but you can't touch. That is not what Jesus teaches. That is also wrong. We live in a society where with a few clicks of a mouse, you can pull up whatever you want to look at. I'm going to tell you right now, it's wrong. Absolutely wrong. I, 
I haven't gotten yet to some other issues. What about anger and self-control? What about attitude and self-control? We talked about words a few weeks ago. What about the tongue? Some of you have learned in trying to control your words, you, you've learned self-control is an integral element to controlling the tongue. And there's some passages of Scripture we could go to. But I find it super interesting that right after Jesus says this, he goes into something else that you've heard. Let me put these next two verses up there. Jesus says this in response to what he just taught. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think that this verse, and I'm going to say this clear before I, before I read it. I think that we get a glimpse of what self, what it feels like to exhibit self-control. Okay? I think in this verse, what Jesus says here, I think we get a glimpse of what it feels like to exhibit self-control. Jesus teaches, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Some of you know this precisely because you, you have... Okay, let's use the one, let's use the one that doesn't, doesn't step on too many toes. Well, maybe it steps on a lot of toes. But we're all familiar with the, let's go back to the food one. Right, mother-in-law? Right, we're, you brought it up. You brought it up. Have you ever, in the face of temptation, so some of you, it can go beyond this, not just food, but any of the other things I've mentioned that you've struggled with, that has been a challenge for you. Have you ever felt like in exhibiting self-control, it was like, Cutting off your arm. Has it ever felt that way? I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not nodding your head yes, I'm going to tell you right now, maybe it's because you have not had to exhibit self-control in the things that you've struggled with. Some of you go, food, no problem. I can give up food all day long. But ask yourself that question. See, there's some things that you go, that, but that's not the thing. See, that's not the thing you struggle with. You got, you got your thing that you struggle with. And you go, I, I've given up. In fact, you may have been patting yourself on the back because some of those things I went down that list and mentioned, like, not a problem for me. But what's your thing? How have you struggled? Maybe it's time to pluck out the eye or cut off the arm. And that's what exactly what it's going to feel like for the thing that you're struggling with. It's difficult. It feels like something is dying. Is exactly what it feels like. Can I share some crazy thoughts with you? Um... When I think about giving up, and I'm just using the food one because that's the obvious one, right? I'm I've lost 12 pounds. <laughs> but, you know, 
I've had to realize through this last time that this is it's, it's a spiritual issue with me. It's not just about the competition. I was so disappointed that they weren't having us do the weekly weigh-ins because that, that helps me. They're not doing that, and I was oh, so frustrated. I've realized that I, I've, I've got to go beyond that. This is a spiritual situation. And I have crazy thoughts. Share an embarrassing one with you. Embarrassing one with you. Who am I if I don't get to eat as much bacon as I want? I mean, who am I really? You guys are not like. I've thought that thought. Like, what, what's the point if I can't eat however many cheeseburgers from McDonald's that I want to eat? I have crazy thoughts like that. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let's make every effort to add self-control, like it says in 1 Peter. Let's make every effort to add self-control. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Right? Don't pay attention to the baby. You guys are all, so, you guys are all as ADD as me sometimes, I think. One little, eh, you guys are all like, You guys are so silly. Um, it's okay, I don't judge. Uh, now, I think a key to understanding how to exhibit this self-control is found, once again, back in 1 Corinthians. Paul the Apostle writes this, and I think that we're going to see this and understand this. Paul writes this, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Here it is. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it, why? To receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Now, now think for a moment. It, you, you ever heard the stories of some of these famous athletes who arrive? I always think of uh, some of the famous basketball players. Michael Jordan was always one of my favorites. I haven't really watched basketball since he was out of it. But I remember I used to read about times where he would, he would go, like if there was, it was a game day, he would go like an hour before anybody else was there and shoot like 100 free throws. Just in a row. That's all. I mean, why? What, what about the athletes that are, that are getting up at the crack of dawn and, and running? Some of you know what that's like. I don't, as you can tell. But why? why? Why do athletes do those things? That's a real question. Why, why do they do those things? It's an obvious answer. You can answer. For the results. Right? Uh, and Paul says, for, to receive the, the perishable, the, the championship. Why do, they, why do they beat their bodies, so to speak? That's what it feels like. Why do they do those things? Because there's a result they want. There's something that they're going for. And I think there's a connection there to a, a valuable aspect to them. Why do I not get up and run? Because I don't care if I win the race. If they say, you're going to be in a race tomorrow, I'll be like, okay. If I just finish, I'll be happy. If winning was important, what might I do? If the joy of winning was important, what might I do? Self-control. 
This was demonstrated clearly in 1972. Walter Mischel, a professor at Stanford University, studied that the idea of self-control and delayed gratification. He did this with, with what has become known as the marshmallow test. Some of you have heard of this. To give you the gist of it, and then I'm going to show you a video of it. It's like a three-minute video, but I'm going to show you the whole thing because it's hilarious. I think that when you watch this video, you will recognize yourself in this video. The marshmallow test, they had some kids, and they brought them into a room by themselves. They set a marshmallow in front of them. They said, you can have this marshmallow now, or you can wait. If you wait until I get back, I will give you an extra marshmallow, so you'll have two. And then they walked out of the room and watched the child. Now, I found out something. That was 1972 that it originally happened. They found that the kids that were able to wait, there's actually was a connection to how they did later in life. Their SAT scores and their, I mean, all kinds of things. They, they tended to go better. That's another story. But let me show you this video clip because I think it's hilarious and I think you'll enjoy it. And I think you'll recognize yourself. Some of you, in place of that marshmallow, put the thing that you struggle with. Okay? Oh, all right. Here we go. Sure. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Uh, it smells really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. <laughs> How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> oh yeah, you gonna try that one out? Oh, love the marshmallows. Who recognized themselves in any of those? Do you recognize yourself? Did you see um, what they didn't have? Now, this obviously wasn't the 1972 study. This was a more recent video. But uh, um, what, they, what they found, they, they did it multiple times. They found that the ones that did this were less likely to succeed in their self-control. The ones that just stepped away were more likely to succeed in their self-control. Now, I've got a scripture up here for you. My computer just shut off. There we go. <clears throat> for us, it's not a marshmallow. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, these next words are so important. Who for the joy, don't miss that in this passage. Who for the joy that was set before him. How did Jesus endure the cross? Don't miss what this, the author of Hebrews says right here. For the joy... that was set before him. Like the kids with the marshmallows. I like the last kid when he, he waits and they give him the two. What did he do with both? <laughs> don't, don't miss this, though. There is absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, there is something very, very right about considering and doing what we do for the joy that is set before us. But you can't be, like Peter talked about last week, nearsighted and blind. There's, there's a joy that is waiting for us. How was it possible that Christ endured the cross? That His body, remember this? I think of this right before He goes to the cross with His disciples. Before He had to endure anything, He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Right? This, is my, this represents the, the blood of the new covenant that will be poured out for you. You can think of that pouring in there. 
How was it possible that Christ was then able to then go from this, talking about it, the distance? Well, he was God, yes, but he was also fully human. He would have felt every aspect of that the way you or I would have felt those things. How did he do it? I think the author of Hebrews is capturing right there. For the joy. Christ looked beyond what was about ready to happen past. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's what we're about to do here, think about him, remember him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted In your struggle against sin, let these words sink in. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Have you? How far did Christ go in his endurance to the shedding of blood? In your resistance against sin, Have you gone that far? I don't know about you, but I have not. I read a verse like this and I go, how weak I am. How weak I am. For the joy. Think about him. How did he do it? For the joy. How might we also be able to do this? Just like that runner that's running. Not for a perishable wreath. Not for something that's going to waste away. Some of you go to the gym. I don't, I don't do that. Some of you go to the gym. Exercise. Right? Why? Because you, you, you love the experience of being in shape. And you go, man, I just, you just love that experience. That's what, that doesn't do it for me. That does it for some. That's perishable. Bodily exercise profits little. Exercise yourself there for the purpose of Godliness. How do we do it? For the joy that is set before you. There's an eternity in heaven awaiting. For me, I think all the time of the words that I want to hear. I don't want to get to heaven and don't want to get to heaven. And Jesus go, well, you're here. I want to get to heaven and stand before my master who died for me. And I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. What I gave you to do, you did it. I want to hear those words. I don't, that's in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible, I guess you're here. In my head, that's, I don't want that. By the skin of our teeth, or as Paul says, as if through fire. To just make it. Is that what you want? Maybe these areas where you need to exhibit self-control, I tell you right now, the way to do that is to look beyond this. Like Abraham In Hebrews it says, Abraham did not have his eyes on this country, but on another country. 
set before him. He didn't receive, it says in Hebrews, he didn't receive the promise in that life. He had Isaac, but he didn't see the fullness. But it says he didn't have his eyes set on this. You need to look beyond those temporary gratifications. And I have to say, some of you, when you recognize yourself with them, that's exactly how many of us operate. We're like that child, and that marshmallow is right there. And you're like the one that goes, picks it up, smells it, tastes in the corner. Maybe we ought to sit that down and step away. Those of you especially that have had some things in your life that have dominated you, I encourage you, pluck out the eye, cut off the hand, get as far away as you can. Don't sit and stare. Some of you know full well you, you can't do it. Get away. Flee from sin. Flee from those things. For the sake of what your Father has called you to do, run away from sin.